Hey friends, welcome to the His Beloved of Texas podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm Kendra, and we're two moms that live across the street from each other. And between us, we have 10 kids. We live life together, have fun, and we just want to share that with you guys. We are so glad you're here. On this podcast each week, we think everyone needs a little bit of hope. And we want to tell stories of hope, of how God has changed people's lives. He's shown up in good times and in hard times, and and He can show up for you too. All right, we hope you enjoy. Hey, Kendra. Hi, Megan. How are you? Good. Good. It's just the two of us. It is. And it's funny because we're back on the floor. We <laughs> we we did so well in getting up to a table and now we're back mm-hmm. on the floor of my living room and you have a cute little, I don't know, it looks like a um, fancy Nancy tea party cart. With yeah, it's like a princess tea party cart. <laughs> under your mic. So yes. I'm very fancy until Stella walks in the room and thinks I yeah. stole her toy and takes it away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we, we had a random opening today with um, both Stella and Tessa napping, and Stella decided at 10 o'clock in the morning that she wanted to go to bed. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, let's do this. And um, and so, you know, Megan put Tessa down real fast, and then we're over here in this little window, and I feel the pressure of, like, any minute Stella's going to come down the stairs crying, but yes. we'll just see what happens. We'll so see. Hopefully not. We, we prayed peace and rest over them. <laughs> so <laughs> We prayed our children would sleep. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So it's November. Mm-hmm. Which is your favorite month? It is. Yes, and um, we just got to celebrate Halloween together, which was really fun. It was fun, and my whole family was Moana, and Tessa wore a wig, which was amazing. So cute, <laughs> and surprisingly Kendra, kept it on. She did. It was At shocking. first, like when we were trying to take photos, she would not keep it on for the life of her, and I was like, "Oh, it's gonna be bad." I think she <laughs> kept her wig on longer than Chad kept his wig on. Oh yeah, Chad. <laughs> my gosh, when we were taking photos, I had them all come outside to take photos. He kept his costume on for a about 30 seconds and then ran back in and took it off and I was like I am not done with you we're gonna take photos dude yes. like we did all this work we are taking family pictures yeah so but Chad looked amazing because he yeah. was Maui from Moana and he wore like the <laughs> kind of skin tight elasticuit <laughs> tattoos from head to it toe was so it was so cute it was pretty amazing and Kendra was it. a helicopter mom I was I was <laughs> so proud of my last minute my kids were giving me so much um angst about not dressing up and so I got one of my son's helicopters and how did I I think I like tied it to my head and then I had a shirt on that said mama bear and so it was a helicopter mom and then of course I had to explain it to my kids what is a helicopter mom yeah so, <laughs> it was good I got a good response though because they're like oh you're not a helicopter mom oh yes. good yeah yes. so that See, that's good. what you want to hear yeah. yeah well and well you spent all your time making Chris's costume that's true. Because he was blippy. Blippy. I kept trying to say it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And he looked like he, he looked pretty legit. He looked blippy. darn good. Like, he did a good yeah. job. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you. Um, Felton and glue gun. Works works wonders. Yeah. And I loved the whole night. He was like in full blippy like, <laughs> character. Like just the smile on his face. Like, B-L-I-P-P-I. <laughs> <laughs> it was cute. It's cute. Yeah. yeah. Our husband's like knocked it out of the park this year. Anyways, so it's November, the month of so we have All Saints Day and All Souls Day, and in the month that we celebrate those that we love who have passed away. Yeah. And for those of you who are not Catholic, it's it's a chance to remember um, loved ones that we've lost. Mm-hmm. It's a chance to pray for them. And so in every Catholic church probably in the world, um, there are photos of people that have passed away. And it's a reminder to pray for their souls mm-hmm. and to pray that um, that they see the gates of heaven soon, yes. as soon as possible. Yeah. And the the whole teaching on being able to pray for those who we have lost has it has just been so um 
it's, it's provided me so much peace in my mm-hmm. life. Um, in seventh grade, I had um, a friend in school who tragically ended her life, and it was so devastating. And at such a young age, my mom taught me that I could pray for her, and I still yeah. pray for her to this day for the repose of her soul and, and others. But, it, you know, you feel so helpless whenever you lose a loved one yeah, because you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, your heart is broken, mm-hmm. but you can do something for them. You know, like the story is not over, their story is mm-hmm. not over, and your connection to them is not over. Um, yeah. And I used to think when I first started doing youth ministry and I was just a volunteer, it was, it's terrifying, right? Like if you walk mm-hmm. into youth ministry and you've never done it before, like these kids are scary. So <laughs> we did a night, and I remember it included purgatory, and we were like, we are not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I do not want to talk about it. It's mm-hmm. scary. I'm afraid I'm going to ruin it. Like scare these children. It scares me. I don't know. I don't have any answers. So we brought in a deacon and had him like answer that little part of the night so that we could venture on and talk about what we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, the kids only wanted to talk about purgatory, and they asked questions all night long. So it's like, <laughs> wow. we're like, no, 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 you missed the point. Like, we're going to talk about these things over here. Yeah. They're way more fun. And, um, and so it used to be kind of a scary idea to me. Maybe it's because I was raised Protestant, but I didn't understand it. It felt, mm-hmm. it felt like a, a scary topic. But the more I think about it, like you said, like it brings so much peace mm-hmm. of knowing that like people are on the path. Yeah. They're on the path to, to heaven. Like they're, they're there, they're on their way and, and we can continue to pray for them yeah. even if they didn't, it, didn't die in the most beautiful way where they, you know, had been anointed and were walking with the Lord their whole lives. Like right. God still has space to work in their hearts. Like there's still room. Yeah. I had a friend who, um, her brother also committed suicide and, or died by suicide. I've heard that's a, mm. a better way to say it yeah. because right, like he's someone who had struggled his whole life with mental illness and, and it took him down. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, Another friend of ours, we were talking about it, and Chad had actually called the priest at our church during that time. We, we were, I was newly Catholic, and um, the priest talked to him and said, you never know what happened in those last mm-hmm. moments of his life. He said, you never know. Like, God is outside of time, mm-hmm. and so what will be one second for us could be 10 years mm-hmm. for the Lord of working in mm-hmm. his heart. Like, we just don't know what's in those last moments. And so he was said, we don't make judgments on where someone is ever. Right. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And I told my friends that and they were like, oh, no, no, you're wrong. If if they died by suicide, they went to hell. And I was like, what? How? How right. can we have that? Yeah. Like we have to have more hope than that. And I think purgatory gives us that hope. Like, Absolutely. That God is still working. He's still right. like nothing is outside of his time. Nothing is outside of his power. Like there's still so much that he can so do much. even in a split second of someone's heart. Yeah. So anyways. So today we want to um, talk about just, you know, what it means to celebrate our loved ones. And and Kendra also has some other things about some something that's happened at school lately. Yeah. So um, along this topic, um, there's just a lot of suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it, you know, with teaching, um, I've seen it very up close with some of the young people um, in my life, unfortunately, and just seeing their suffering and ways that they're taking it out, um, on themselves, on others and, and that sort of thing. And it's just heartbreaking to see. And so I went and talked with Esther. <laughs> um, she's my go-to. She's like a weekly shout out. She does. Esther. I don't think she even listens. <laughs> that's okay. Um, she fuels us. So yeah, that's, that's good. So I was talking to Esther about it, like how 
do I approach this? Do I approach this? You know, Mm -hmm. I for sure talked to their parents about it, but, um, she started talking about the transcendent Mm -hmm. and, um, that there is more beyond what we see right in front of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And in this world, we try to control and grasp and, um, get things immediately and that sort of thing. And so the message that we're sending these young people is that regarding two areas that we absolutely cannot control that we should control. And so the two areas that she spoke of were life and death, right? Mm. We cannot, we can, we, we've gotten with technology a way to have a say in the creation of life and to have a say in the, Mm. in death, but are they ordered? No, they're not rightly ordered. Um, Sorry, my dog is in the background going crazy, but she's going to join us on the, on the podcast today. Um, so whenever we shut those two um, areas off that connect us to the transcendent, mm-hmm. to what is beyond what we see right in front of us, that connect us to the greater good, that connect us to our creator, um, when we start to close those off, then suffering becomes out of order as well. Mm. Like there, there isn't, it's, it's not rightly ordered in the sense that I am here. This is all I see. This is all I know, but yet I'm suffering. I can't do anything about it. There's nothing greater that I could cling to in mm-hmm. the suffering. There's nothing greater that I could offer this suffering to. And so it's almost like, um, like a valve that just, or, or, you know, like in your heart, um, if you get blockage, then it's going to cause a heart attack. And so like Mm -hmm. those two, two ends are blocked by birth control, by abortion, by euthanasia, those Mm -hmm. sorts of things that it's, it's going to have to burst somewhere. Oh, that's deep. And that, well, and then the suffering has no meaning. Right. And if you're not moving towards some, some sort of transcendence, right. Then the suffering just feels very temporal and now like it feels very like I can't escape it and and we have this feeling of needing to escape all suffering instead Mm -hmm. of needing to lean into suffering and allow that to refine us right allow it to draw us closer to the Lord like we just want to run yeah and especially these poor teens who they don't know how to handle all of that it just feels so overwhelming and so they're looking for some sort of way to release a release yeah yeah well when Kendra told me that I had already had on my heart for a while now to share my brother's story. And um, and one thing, by the way, so when someone loses a loved one, I lost my brother. That's, spoiler alert, that's the end of the story. <laughs> um, I want to talk about him sometimes, right? Uh-huh. Like I, I love talking about him. I think it's fun to talk about him. And the second I bring him up, the whole like conversation, the air in the room <laughs> changes. And I'm like, you guys, like whoever I'm talking to, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're like, oh. <laughs> and they get this like sad, like, oh. yes. but, um, but I wanted to talk about him because I have felt very strongly for several years now to speak out against euthanasia. And I don't think I've ever really done this in any sort of public format, um, mainly just with, you know, groups of teens I've worked with over the years and stuff like that, because my brother's life and his death were so meaningful. Mm. And had he not experienced it the way he did, um, I don't, our, our family would have been robbed of so much. 
Mm. he would have been robbed of so much in his own um, journey, in his own story. And anyways, I'll get there. So my brother, he's six years older than me, and he um, was a very funny, outgoing, uh, charismatic guy. He was really into acting and had this dream of being on stage and on TV. And I was a little six-year-old precocious kid and (laughs) thought, that looks fun. I will come too. And so um, my mom put us in acting when we were kids and we went to California and did all these things. And and, uh, then he learned how to um, do behind the camera stuff when he was in high school. So by the time he was like 14 or 15, he could edit, produce, nice. fit, film, all the things. That's where you um, get your podcasting talent from. Well, there's so many days where <laughs> I'm sitting here editing this podcast and I'm like, you know, if Matt was just here, like this would be so much easier <laughs> so because easier. he would he would help me. Yeah. And like he was a photographer too and loved photography. Like he never even got to hold an iPhone like this. Wow. I mean, I think he had an iPhone, but not yeah. like with fancy schmancy camera and all right. like that he it has had an now. iPhone and his camera I'm like if he had had the technology of today oh, that boy would have been unstoppable anyways yeah. very talented in that sense and he took that skill that he learned when he was young and actually became a TV producer and so he had this really cool job where he'd travel all around and make commercials and and it was really great and um, so I always looked up to him. He was the first person that I saw have a conversion of heart and fall in love with the Lord in my life. Mm. And that was when I was, I guess, in high school-ish, maybe a little bit younger than that. And I just remember like watching him change and just mm-hmm. being um, amazed by it. And um, and then he had some really hard times in mm-hmm. his life. Um, he had two little boys that were adorable. They were the love of his life. But he went through a really dark period. Um and sin took over his life. Mm. And I won't go into detail because it's not my story to tell, but it was painful um, beyond words mm. and shocking to our entire family and heartbreaking. And that happened this summer that I was pregnant with Eli. So we're talking like 2012. Mm-hmm. And um, his marriage ended very quickly after that. Mm-hmm. And and here's this man that I love that I had on a pedestal his whole life um, that I just looked up to as... He, you know, perfection, which I'm kind of bad at that sometimes, putting people on pedestals. Um, and then they fall and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, I just can't handle it. Um, but he fell and mm. I watched sin control someone's life. Um, the look in his eyes was different. The way he treated people was different. Everything. It was like the person I knew was gone mm-hmm. in some ways. And so he moved back in with my mom for a little while to kind of get back on his feet and got an apartment, moved out, was, you know, great dad taking care of his sons and everything. And um, that was the summer of 2012. So the summer of 2013, he started getting sick and he was having like pains and we didn't know what was wrong with him. And he came down to visit us, I remember, and he just slept for like 12 hours. <laughs> We're like, is mm-hmm. he okay? But he didn't have any real, you know, complaints. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it was July, thank goodness. Uh, that's a big part of um, how God orchestrated the story is that it was the summer. And so um, he got to the point where he was at work and his boss looked at him and he said, you need to leave right now and go to an urgent care. You don't look good. Wow. And so he went to the urgent care. And I've always wanted to like find this urgent care and go hug the neck of the doctor. Um, the doctor looked at him and said, well, you have flu-like symptoms. And, but it's July and people don't have the flu in July. So I'm going to do blood work on you. And they got the blood work back immediately, which just, that that doesn't doesn't happen. happen. Like, I don't know how that even happened. They got it back within like an hour 
and his white blood cell counts were they're supposed to be like I'm gonna get all these numbers wrong they're supposed (laughs) to be somewhere between like 500 and a thousand I think Mm -hmm. his were like 20,000 wow they were the highest like they'd ever seen um and so they said you need to go to the ER right now and he drove himself to the ER which is crazy um and he was brought into the hospital and they said oh no no we can't care for you here and they care flighted him oh my word uh-huh Baylor Hospital and even at this all in a day this all in one night yeah this oh all all at like like five o'clock in the afternoon this all happened in the evening like the, wow. it's crazy how how um, it went down and he was very quickly diagnosed with um, acute leukemia mm. which is usually more of like a childhood disease yeah. um, he was 38 and um, and the doctor told us most people go into a doctor with this type of um, symptoms and they're told you have the flu and yeah. they're sent home and given, you know, medicine or nothing and told to wait a week and come back. Had he waited a week and come back, he would have died in his apartment. Like he would wow. not have made it. Wow. He said he had about 24 hours left. Yeah. So that right there, miracle, oh <laughs> um, because I can't imagine not having the rest of that time with him. Um, and so it was a shock <laughs> to yeah. our systems, obviously. He moved back in with my mom. Well, first he stayed in the hospital for quite a while. And I remember coming to visit him in the hospital and thinking he looked so frail. And now I look back on those pictures and he looks so handsome oh. and he looks so muscular. And I'm like, oh, he, he got way worse after that. <laughs> it's just like what you don't know. You right. Know? Yeah. And um, and so they actually did a thing where they, they spun off a lot of his white blood cells, which allowed okay. him to get back into a healthier place. Yeah. So they started him on some really, really intense chemo. Um, they decided pretty shortly after that that he needed a bone marrow transplant. Mm. And um, so they did my bone marrow test and I was 100% matched to his bone marrow, which is not very common. And um, and it felt so hopeful mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, that I was his match. Like this is gonna be what he needed and, we were, and it was gonna save him. And so we went through the whole process of um, the bone marrow transplant and it was hard and it was painful and and chemo wiped him out. Mm. And, um, but this whole time he's living at my mom's house and, and, and there was a lot of pain that had gone on just from family. You know, my, my parents are divorced and there was a lot of pain that Matt and I received because of that. And Mm -hmm. we, we processed it in different ways and we held on to different resentments and, and, and it was almost as if we were like, we saw it from completely different angles. So he had a lot of a lot of pain that he held on to too. And and so for my mom to get to like bring her grown son back into her home and she cared for him like he was a, a baby. Wow. <laughs> the the sacrifice and love of my mom. Oh wait, hold on. I totally forgot the mom's part of the story. That's really important. So <laughs> back up, back up, back up. So before all this happened, before we found out about the um the hard part of his life. I was in a small group with um, some friends who I think listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's been a long time. And um, I, we had like done different books and, and I'm newly Catholic, right? And still uh-huh. learning very much at this time. And, um, and I had heard on Relevant Radio about this book that John Paul II loved. And I thought, <laughs> well, if he loves it, then I should love it too. And it was called The Diary of St. Faustina. And he needed to read it the day that he was shot. And I thought, well, that sounds like a book that I want to read too. So I go back and tell my friends, we should do this new book for 
small just like a small. Oh, I thought it was like 100 pages. Yeah. I will never forget the day that we ordered them and they came in the mail <laughs> and they all met me on the front porch and they stared at me and they're like, Megan, have you seen this book? And I was like, is it wonderful? I can't wait to see it. And they're like, oh, oh, it's big. <laughs> and so I get this book and it's like the thickness of the Bible. And I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think they were not real pleased so with me. Funny. But we did. We dug, we, we dug into um, the Diary of St. Faustina. We only read like half of it, I think, because that was like 200 pages. And yeah. that was about as much as, as we had the bandwidth for at the time. But I fell in love with St. Faustina, with the diary, and, um, and with the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And I told my mom about it. And at, my, at this point, my mom was not Catholic. And she and I told her about how, you know, it's used to save souls and to to pour God's mercy and God's grace on his people and and that it's used at the hour of death. And I told her all these things and, mm-hmm. and I'm all, you know, I was just on fire all the time. So I think I talked so about it a lot. The time frame between um falling in love with Saint Faustina and Matt getting sick, was there space? That was like a year that? between. Okay. Yeah. So this was like the year before we found okay. out before his marriage ended all that. Yeah. And so I tell my mom about it and she like completely takes on this devotion to St. Faustina. Wow. And she's praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day and she's all into it. And and then we go to a Divine Mercy service um, on Divine Mercy Sunday and she goes over and there's an image on the wall and she's just like kneeling in front of this image and praying her heart out. Mm. And I look up and I'm like, man, I'm a really good evangelist. Like I... <laughs> I brought her yeah, to this place and I taught her all about St. Faustina. And I'm like real proud of myself at this point. I have no idea that she is praying her heart out for her kid. Wow. Because she knew what I didn't know. Wow. And I found out about a month later. And then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I get it now. Got it. Mama was working overtime praying for her kid. And yeah. so, um, so the Divine Mercy had always been a big part of this story because she had prayed it so diligently for Matt. Mm. And I believe that Grace is... The graces, you know, just flowed from that for for both of them. Mm-hmm. And I always t- say that my mom is my my Saint Monica because of the way she prayed for my brother. Um, so okay, so back back to the current, you know, back to when he was sick. So she was taking care of him. Um, his bone marrow transplant went well. He was better for a couple of months. He even got to go on a cruise. He got to mm-hmm. like live a little bit of life, and then it came back and. Mm-hmm. And it came back with a vengeance, and um, he was sicker than I've ever seen someone in my entire life. And I, I don't think that most people even have a level of understanding of what it looks like to see someone that sick yeah. for that long, for that amount of time. He uh, would was going in and out of the hospital, and then at one point, Lent of that year, on Ash Wednesday, I got a call and I was um, at work and they said, you need to come now. He's he's not doing well. And so I rushed, rushed up there from Austin and got to be with him. And he pretty much stayed in the hospital from then on. So he was in the hospital for about two months. Mm. And during this whole time, we're like getting these like messages of divine mercy. Like people are handing me divine mercy books. They're like, wow. um, a friend of a friend who barely even knew Matt sent him a divine mercy image and put it in his room. And Matt's not Catholic, right? So that's random. Wow, yeah. And my mom put it like right next to his face. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> the first thing he would see every time he opened his eyes. And and there was just this like constant reminder that that he was being prayed for and that yeah. the divine mercy was I, I think it was like a constant reminder that mercy was coming. Mm. That mercy was there. That yeah. mercy was in the room. 
And, and in the beginning, he, he would say things like, I got cancer because, because of my sins. I did this to myself. I caused this. I hurt the people around me. Mm -hmm. I created this world because of my own sin. And, um, and then somewhere along the way in those couple of months when he was back in the hospital, he just surrendered. He surrendered his heart. He surrendered his illness. And he would say, I'm going to be okay, Megan. I'm going to be okay one, one way or another. Wow. And he said, I'm not worried about tomorrow because God's already there. And, wow. and we grew in this just amazing friendship that last year. And my parents, um, who was kind of awkward for them to be in the same room <laughs> for a while before mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. got to where they were like co-parenting my my brother and supporting one another and having conversations and leaning in and my brother and his relationship with my mom was just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and we would have missed all that yeah we would have missed all that had he died that day in his apartment had he chosen to end his life because he knew he was so sick Mm-hmm. We would have been robbed of all of those things. Um, and so he stayed in the hospital for quite some time and he just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And he was catching all sorts of um, bacteria and viruses and because being in the hospital is like not a very healthy place to be. Yeah. And finally, one day my mom said, I'm taking him home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she said, I'm going to go against medical advice. I'm going to take my son home. And so she did. And, uh, and he got better. He thrived for a while at home. He was still very sick. I mean, walking with a walker, yeah. but he was out of a wheelchair. Like he was, he was moving. Um, and then he still was just not healthy. Like they still couldn't quite figure out what was wrong with him. And he went in for an MRI one day because they were trying to see if he had um, cancer in his brain and they had to put him under because he just was so unhealthy and didn't want to be in a MRI machine with it uh, awake. And yeah. um, he never came back out of his sedation mm-hmm. from the MRI. And, and it's funny because as sick as he was, it was still a shock to us. Sure, <laughs> I think yeah. we just had so much hope the whole time. And, and there were people praying their hearts out all over the place. Yeah. And, and part of me afterwards felt, I felt a ton of peace. Like there was a moment one time before that happened where I got a call from, from work again. And they said, He's really not doing well. We may have to intubate him. This may be the end. You need to come. Wow. And so I got in the car and I drove as fast as I could. And my mom, and it was funny. It was one of those moments where like people just show up from nowhere. My dad was there from Austin. My, you know, my stepmom, my, everybody was just in the room. And Matt looked at us like, where did y'all come from? Why are you here? <laughs> and, um, and we called in um, the pastor of his church, pastors of his church, and they prayed with him. And we called in a Catholic priest because I, I worked at a church at the time. And I said, I asked our priest, my brother's not Catholic. Can he receive the anointing? And he said, absolutely, he can receive the anointing. We're like, wow. all right, let's do this. Let's then, do y'all. it. <laughs> and so he did. He received the anointing that day. And I truly believe that gave him those extra couple yeah. of weeks with us. Yeah. I believe it cleansed him of that long-term sin that he carried yeah. of the guilt yeah. because the anointing washes away all the sins of the entire life. Wow. And, and something there was something tangibly different about that day and he didn't have to be intubated. And all of a sudden he started getting better, like really quickly. And it was about a week or two after that. I don't know. I'm probably getting these dates time mixed up, but where my mom took him home was not long after that. And, um, but I just, he lived so much suffering on this earth and he 
surrendered in such a beautiful way that that it was apparent to see the the mercy in his heart. Yeah. yeah. And so a couple of days before he died, um, my mom took him to church, and she took him to the uh, like a worship service near their house, and he was in his wheelchair, and she wheeled him in, and when they got into the church, it, they were a little bit late. And the song Oceans was on from mm. um, Hillsong United. And he just started crying and crying and crying. And he's he kept talking about like God's mercy and God's love and how he just didn't deserve it, but how God was pursuing his heart. And what he would say is, he was made, a, made to, I'm sorry, he was created to love me and all he wants is for me to love him back. Wow. Um, and I think he was talking about Jesus when he said that, but I'm not really sure because I didn't get a chance to like fully ask him. Um, so that week he sent me these text messages about this worship service. And um, and he was so cute. And he said, well, you, I have your blood in my body now because of the bone marrow <laughs> transplant. And so that's the reason I was crying is because, <laughs> because I have girl blood in my body. But really he was just a crier. Like he cried all the time. And, um, but he just kept talking about how he just felt so consumed by the love of the people around him and the grace of the Lord. Like mm. we can talk about grace all day long and, and what it means for God to, you know, desire to forgive our hearts. Yeah. But to watch someone like to tangibly see grace pour over someone. Yeah. That's what it was like with yeah. Matt. He, um, because I saw him go from this angry wrapped in sin person to, Someone who was like, all right, Lord, like if this is what you're calling me to. Just free. It was freeing. It was yeah. so freeing. And he fought hard. Like I'm not saying he didn't fight because yeah. he wanted nothing else than to, to raise his sons. Yeah. But he just, he knew what it felt like to be forgiven. And, and he wasn't going to take that for granted. He wasn't going to let it be wasted. Yeah. Like he was going to own the, his place as the beloved and his place as this, as a forgiven forgiven one. And so, um, so those text messages are really powerful to me. Yeah. And, and it's cute because he could barely, you know, move his hands. So they're all spelled wrong and everything's like, <laughs> you have to kind of like, oh, I think wow. that's what he's trying to say. <laughs> um, and the last thing he said to me before he went into his, um, MRI, I happened to call that day, I guess. And my mom answered the phone and said, Hey, you want to talk to Matt? And she handed him the phone and he said, they won't let me eat. And I'm really hungry. <laughs> And I just assumed I'd get to talk to him again after that. So yeah. I said, okay, well, enjoy your MRI. And, um, but there was just a peace that washed over my family. And, of course, there's a sadness and yeah. an emptiness for my, my parents who've lost their child and for my nephews who don't have their, their dad anymore. But there was a peace. There was like a mm. tangible grace that we experienced. And right after he died, so that was in um, July of 2014, there was a story in Oregon of a girl named Brittany Maynard, mm -hmm. and some of you guys may remember this. And she had an inoperable brain tumor. Um, she was and pretty young. She was twenty nine. Young twenties. Yeah, and she was and gorgeous. I just looked at her yeah. pictures, and and still in pretty good health at this point. And she knew that it was um, that there was no hope for her to be to recover from it. And she moved from California to Oregon because Oregon had an end of life care bill that allowed for doctor assisted suicide and, and California didn't. And she kind of became the poster child for, I remember that. for end of life care. 
And I don't care. That's not a bad, that's not a good way to say that. I know. I don't like it either. I don't like it either. Um, because really there's no care there. Right. There's <laughs> very, very little care. Um, and, and she was championed as this, as this like hero of having control over your own death and of dying with dignity. I think that those were the yeah. words, the dying with dignity. I remember that. Yeah. That really shook me because my brother died with dignity. Yeah. <laughs> he may have worn diapers. Mm-hmm. He may have been bathed by his mother, mm. but he died with dignity. Yeah. More dignity than I've ever seen anyone live with on this earth. And it just, I just wanted to like go and look those people in the eyes and say, you have no idea what you're missing. Yeah. You have no idea the story that God's going to write in the next six months, in the next week. Like the, there's something he has something for you so yeah. much greater than this. And when we try to grasp and control our lives and especially our, like you said, life and death, being born and dying, like we're taking away the pen from his hand. Right. We're, we're stopping it. We're not allowing right. him to heal hearts, to cause conversions, to, um, you know, heal marriages, to heal mm-hmm. divorces, to heal all the things that happened mm-hmm. in my family, the things that I watched. And, and I just, it breaks my heart for anyone who thinks that that is a way to die with dignity. Yeah. It really does. And so, I don't know, there hasn't been a lot of talk about it over the last couple of years, but I know that I just looked this up and she, because of her death, they passed this law in California. So it's now legal in California. Wow. And, um, it said that there may be a movie about it soon, which broke my heart too. Yeah. And I just felt like. Sometimes I feel like as Catholics, we need to speak up and say, like, there's so much more. Right. There's so much more. Yeah. And and death is painful and it's hard, but it's redemptive and it's yeah. beautiful. And it's the path that it is our final journey and it's what we're called to is to right. unite that suffering to God and to, to give our hearts to him and right. to one day go through purgatory and be with him in heaven. Right. That's, that's the goal, right? Yeah. I just, just speaking of... Um taking that pen out of his hand. Um, you know, just speaking of how God is beyond time, like our death, the way that we are going to die is known by him mm-hmm. and written by him. Right. It isn't this fluke thing that happens. And then God's like, Oh yeah, that was your time. Come on. You know, yeah. like it, it's as um, painful as it may be. The suffering um, that it would cause others, you know, it's still God's poetry. Mm-hmm. And there's redemption. Like, right, yeah. People are drawn to Jesus because of situations like this. Like, right. hearts are converted. Yeah. Lives are changed. Like, I, you know, I watched my dad change in such a beautiful way. Like, mm-hmm. his, his heart softened. His, like, there's just... We just don't know the ripple yeah. effect. Yeah. And I'm sure um, the nurses that worked with him. Oh, gosh, And yes. the doctors that worked with him. Like anybody he came in contact with. You know, just being a beacon of hope of accepting yeah. um, what was handed to him. And just living with grace through that. Allowing, mm-hmm. allowing God to move. Yeah, He even got to have um, our favorite band is the Randy Rogers Band. And so on his wall, there was always... Um, 
they would write things like, okay, your goals are, because they're trying to get these people up and out right. of bed and moving yeah. in. So his goal was to go to a Randy Rogers band concert, like to oh. be well enough to get out and go. Uh-huh. It never happened, unfortunately. But we always wrote that on the wall. Uh-huh. And one of the nurses happened to live next door to the fiddle player for the Randy Rogers band. And he's like the star of the band anyways. Like it's not named after him, but he's the one that everybody loves. His name is Brady Black. And I had loved him for a long, long time. Uh-huh. And um, and so she saw that and she was like, I know Brady. I could I could tell him. And, and so um, on Easter Sunday, Brady Black came and visited my brother in the hospital. Oh, my goodness. And I think that gave him a little bit of like a, yes. a little boost too because he was really sick at that time. Mm. And, and he wore his Randy Rogers shirt for uh-huh. like days after that. And he was so proud. And then, um, and then after Matt died, when we had his funeral, he came to his funeral. Oh, my he didn't tell goodness. anybody. He just stood in the back. And because wow. I'm like, well, if you're going to come, like, play the fiddle for us. <laughs> like, let's make this worthwhile. Great. Come on. I know. Let's do so. I mean, it wasn't like at the actual funeral. Like afterwards, I was thinking, play, play the fiddle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but he was just such a sweet and humble man. And he stood in the back and just wow. wanted to honor honor Matt. Like the yeah. one time that he met him, he just wanted to be there for him. Yeah. And a couple of times since then, we've gotten to see him at concerts and he's like never forgotten him. Wow. I know. It's really that's so it, amazing. Yeah. It was, it was a really special part of the story of just like how God yeah. like just shines, shines yeah. a little love and grace on him. Also the Dallas Maverick cheerleaders came to visit him one day. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. That's I awesome. mean, they were just visiting everybody, but whatever. But they came still, to his room. They came. And he was a big Mavs fan, <laughs> big, big Mavs fan. That's and really the neat. Rangers, I'm pretty sure, went to the World Series the year that he died. I was like, that's for Matt. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> he needed that. <laughs> Anyways. Um, wow. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah. It's yeah. – I I firmly believe that our stories – like, if if we're going to live through all this, <laughs> mm-hmm. then let it be for the goodness of somebody else. Like, let it mm. be for God's glory, for him yeah, to for reach someone else's heart. So I hope that it touched someone's heart, maybe mm-hmm. someone who's going through – similar to what we went through or, or just needs a little bit of hope that like redemption can happen. Like it yeah. doesn't matter how far you've fallen. Yeah. God's grace can find you. Yeah. And One your powers, your prayers are powerful. Yeah. Too. And your prayers are powerful. Like yeah. my mama prayed her son into the arms of Jesus. I'm certain yeah. of it. Yeah. Certain of it. And Megan also, I'm sure her prayers had a huge part in your conversion, which also helped Yeah, Matt. Yeah. You know, like that's all part of like kind of the domino effect. Yeah, of, that's true. That's you know. true. Well, and, and for us, I had already had my conversion at this point. So mm-hmm. I was able to really like share my faith with him. And we had that bond as he was sick. And that was so yeah. powerful. And, and, um, and I have lots of little messages about that from him that he sent me. Of, mm-hmm. You know, it was really sweet. And then my mom um, entered into RCIA not long after all of this happened too. Wow. And now she's Catholic, which is yeah. pretty darn cool. Yeah. So. Um, so there's some things you can do in the month of November, which is fun. Um, a lot of people like to go to cemeteries. You guys ever do that? Go visit? We, yes, we, we, um, where our babies are buried yeah. up in Georgetown. We didn't get to go this year, but, um, for a while there. It's not did. over yet. What? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're right. We, should, we, yeah, now volleyball season's over. Life is a little easier. Well, we're going to go up there, but, um, for a while we would just pack a picnic and just go sit there with our babies and you know, and all of our kids and we would just have a big family picnic and, and our children were really blessed by it too, just to, to know, um, that they are an intimate part of our family. So yeah, that's really cool. And I heard, uh, Kendra Tierney, the Catholic speaker, 
author, whatever. Everything. With, yeah, I'm like, I don't know what you really call her. <laughs> but she's a mom of, I think, 10 kids. And she does a lot of like liturgical living stuff. And she said, I thought this was so cool, that during the three days, um, All Hallows Eve, uh-huh. <laughs> or Halloween, All Saints Day and All Souls Day, that she teaches her kids, that's when you celebrate the three different what do you call it? Like the church triumphant, the church militant, and the oh. church... What's the other one? Oh, no. Oh, no. Shoot. <laughs> triumphant, militant, oh, no. Suffering? Yes. Okay. So she... Yes. I was like, oh, no, not too much of this, y'all. <laughs> so what she says is on, on Halloween... That's when they celebrate the church militant, like everybody's uh-huh. still on earth and they go out and they love their neighbors and they meet people and they get uh-huh. to know people and they share the faith here. And then on All Souls Day, All Saints Day, they celebrate the church triumphant because uh-huh. those are the saints in heaven. And then All Souls Day, they celebrate the church suffering. Wow. And I was like, that's cool. That is so cool. I'd never seen the um, Halloween brought into that too. Yeah. That was yeah. Really cool. That's and really such awesome. a good reminder too that like we're here to evangelize and yeah. what a great day to go out and meet people and love them where they are. Yeah, all of for that. sure, so, for sure. Um, yeah, so the whole rest of the month of November, maybe just pray into how you can connect yourself and your family um, to ways that reach um, and pray for the souls in purgatory. And, yeah. and I've been told also that um, souls that then go on to heaven – pray for you in return. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. So, um, and the St. Gertrude prayer is supposed to release how many souls like, Oh gosh, I don't know a lot. Like 150 every time you pray it or something like that. And, um, so that's a good one to include in your prayers in the month of November. And just, just remember that there's still people hoping for prayers. And, um, and I love, I think what I love about it too, is God's timing is so different than ours. Because to God, everything happens now and everything mm-hmm. is here. And for us, we're very li- linear and chronological. And mm-hmm. so we have no idea. Like we can pray from people from thousands of years ago. We can pray yeah. for people that were just last week. We can pray for anybody. Yeah. And, um, My sweet little nephew is so beautiful. He um, has a tender place in his heart for the souls in purgatory who have been forgotten. Oh. Isn't that beautiful? And his suffering. He suffers. He suffers so, so deeply. Yeah. And to lift that up for them is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That boy's going to be a saint one of these days. Yes. It's like, there's going to be a St. <laughs> so. Luke. There already is a St. Luke, but there's going to be another, another one. St. <laughs> Luke of Texas. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, this is wonderful. We have um, a great story to tell you next week, and I can't mm-hmm. wait. Mm-hmm. So, um, so check back next the week. The next two. Yeah, the next two. It's kind of like a two-parter, but two different people are going to tell yeah. the same story from yeah. different angles. And Yeah. And you're going to love it because we such got a God to of watch hope. it oh. and we got to watch it in real time and it was cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're going to love it. Super cool. All right. Oh, and register for our Advent event. <gasps> yes. December 3rd. December 3rd. Yeah. So we're having an Advent worship and adoration night at St. Vincent de Paul in Austin. And um, it's going to be on Friday, December 3rd from 630 to 930. And this event is by donation. And so you can give as much or as little as whatever. Um, just is on your heart and we just want to see there, be there with you. We would love for you to have an opportunity to rest before Advent gets busy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Advent really is supposed to be a time of slowing down, right? Right. So it's a time to slow down, a time to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be with other women in community. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Super excited. Yeah. So come join us. All right. Visit our website, share this podcast, all the things. You can register at hisbelovedoftexas.com, invite a friend. We'd love to have you. Oh, right. Stella's away. <laughs> I think that's our cue. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody.